I am Doug Friedman. I am Bonnie Ray. And this is Your Mental Breakdown, the podcast. Welcome, Bonnie. Thank you for joining me on, on this. We've had you on the Patreon. You've been on this on the roundtable, but this is this is our first, I mean, this is my first of the year. This I'm is a brand. I haven't, I haven't talked to you since last year. I know. How have you been? I've been I've been good. It's good. been uh I mean, look, it's it's the holiday hangover that I think we all have. Yes. It's uh we were just talking about this. <laughs> and I lied. I actually have talked to you this year. <laughs> <But> <laughs> you were you were saying something earlier that I thought was kind of interesting that right after the new year, you kind of get like an influx of of new clients, like people calling in and wanting therapy. Yeah. And always. It feels like One, it makes sense. It's a new year. I think we're all drawn to being healthier, maybe doing more of the work, having a different experience. So it makes sense that a lot of people reach out to therapists. Mm. And also, I think for many people stepping back in, if you go back into your family of origin versus family of choice, it brings stuff up, whether it's traumatic or brings up old dynamics. Mm. Um, I've had a lot of conversations with clients around my parents just don't see me and I've grown so much in my life. And I'm not that little kid right, who's dramatic right, or right. sensitive or lazy or chaotic. And my, my parent or parents can't get that old image of me or possibly old projection of me yep. out of their head. Yep. And when I step back in, sometimes I actually enact that. Like I become more of that little kid that they right. see me as, right. and that doesn't feel great. That's the role that I know. So I slip into that. That's what they expect. So I do that whether yep. I want to or not. And yep. then transitioning back to my current life sometimes can get a little trickier, take a minute. And then we kind of go, wait, what just happened? What did I do? Yep. Yeah. And Who was that? Right. Can I bring my my real adult present day evolved self to my family of origin? That's hard for the holidays. It is. It is hard, especially when a lot of how we've been depends on how we're perceived or how people react or respond to us. Yes, right, exactly. That's something, I don't know if you heard this with me talking with Drew, we worked on this a lot and I talked about the snapshots versus the yes. Harry Potter pictures, right? Yes. And that you know, what you're talking about, Bonnie, is like people in your family have a snapshot of you from when you were younger. There's a snapshot of you now that looks a lot different but they have the Harry Potter picture experience where the, yep. the pictures, the snapshots have been moving the whole time. It's like a moving picture. So they have, they have all of it and they think you are this character that has this whole through line and you are that person from before, not this new person. Now you're all of it. And it's really hard to get them to change that image because they have so many of them layered on top of each other. Yeah. It's hard to get them to change. And sometimes it might be impossible if your parents really can't get that image out. Right. They really struggle to see who you are. Right. How, what skills do you have and how do you do the work to still show up in the present day snapshot? Right. To depersonalize that. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because I think there's, man, several different branches we can <laughs> go off on here. <laughs> One of them, which we'll, we'll pan, we can come back to it, is there might be a snapshot of your parents. Oh, totally. And it may or may not have changed. A lot of times I hear clients saying like, my parents are exactly how they were before. So it's sort of like uh, frustrating that they're still that same snapshot. Totally. And when you've evolved and you changed and you present this new snapshot, they're not going to get it. So what do you do? Not see your parents, not go to your family of origin or regress to how you used to be and put on that mask and that act. 
it can be exhausting for people. Yeah. And some people make the understandable, healthy choice of being with family of choice. And I think that that's also okay. Right. If you really don't feel safe with your family of origin, don't, I mean, I just, I picture my parents as little kids. That's, that's how I depersonalize. Interesting. Is that weird? Is it weird? <laughs> Picturing them as little kids? I mean, I just see when there's something that would have upset me before I picture their inner child and I can right. understand it more. Right. It helps being a therapist, of course. Oh, totally. But it's a skill that has helped me and some of my clients mm-hmm. to be able to depersonalize healthily and lovingly detach and also start to have compassion. Yeah, that's right. I, I remember I would have some real difficulties with my dad and he wasn't very emotionally expressive. And my sister said, well, he's kind of an emotional child. Like he's, yeah. he's a, a child. You have to think of him that way. And I'm like, oh, right. So I think of the little dad he never really got those needs met, didn't get to express those things. He's very wounded. He's very withdrawn. Oh, that makes sense. So why would he be any different now just because he's older? Yep. Right? But so if you're sitting with the kind of withdrawn dad or for some people, the angry dad. Sure. Judgmental dad. Right. Yeah. And you take that on and as the child, what does that feel for me? Then you're upset, you're wounded, you're traumatized. There's a way for you and and how you just described it at, oh, these are his unmet needs. Mm. And he, he, he's clearly not aware of how that's coming off to other people. Right. Right. It's also weird being a therapist because it's, and even if you're not a therapist and you're just aware of this, a lot of us have an inclination to want to help and want to help them change. Yes. They might not be ready to, they might not be willing to, they might not be able to. Yep. Right. Maybe they're doing it for a reason and they don't want to lower those defenses. And it, it doesn't take being a therapist. It also can be you recognize it and you're just mad at it and frustrated by it and don't want to have anything to do with it. You know, it's like you said, it can create a lot. And that's probably why our phones start ringing after the holidays. <laughs> and there you go. Right. I think I threw this on people and I say this every year around the holidays. It's Ram Dass's line. If you think you're enlightened, go home for the holidays. Right. <laughs> I have never heard that. Really? No, but I'm going to steal that from you and use it. It's not mine. You can absolutely steal it. And I can guarantee you, you have heard it from me because I've said it to you over the years. Well, I just don't always listen to what you say. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) If you listen to like one tenth of what I say, you'll get a lot because I apparently... You're so smart, Doug. It's not that I'm smart. It's just that I say a lot. All you the time. do say a lot. <laughs> but as therapists, we repeat ourselves over and over. You do right? that too? Oh, of course. And sometimes clients are like, I'm so tired of talking about the same thing. Right. But we're talking about the same thing at a different point in your growth. And maybe it sticks today and it didn't stick before. Right. Or maybe it's it's processed differently. Actually, I love repetition in therapy because it's you start hearing it over and over. And eventually you're going to have a response. Yes. Oh, that's why you were doing, oh, okay. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Yeah. And it can enter in a cerebral, like intellectual place if I get it. But when it drops down and hits you emotionally, maybe through a metaphor or there's some other way. Right. That's when it has the most lasting effects. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And that's fun. That reminds me of something you called me out on uh, when we did the a Drew episode on the Patreon. And uh-huh. you were like, he went down emotional. How come he dropped down? Why didn't you stay there with him? Why did you? Yes, yes. And I was knowing him, we could tap into that at any time. Right. You know, but that, that drop down to the emotion is huge. I'm going to, I'm going to point that out again. Oh, uh -oh. Mm -hmm. 
Wow. See, Doug and I have a great relationship. <laughs> we like to challenge each other. It's all with love. Oh, yeah. And also, it's interesting being in this place because you're just listening to one session. I don't know Sarah like you know Sarah. Right, right. So I'm just taking this one snapshot in a way and saying, why didn't you stay here? What was going on there? Right. Nice callback. Yeah. That snapshot thing? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. That's right. Uh-huh. That's right. And I think that for me change can really happen and not just really feeling love and safety in a therapeutic relationship, but Mm. also with a therapist who can challenge you when you're ready and in a way that it honors the dynamic. (laughs) That's right. Because you challenged, you challenged Sarah and I'm like, I love you, Doug. A couple of times. Because Uh I do the, I'll call bullshit too, but I, but I know who I can call it with and I know how. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, that's, that's the relationship I have with her. And I even, I will even say that and you'll, you guys will hear it in the session, which maybe we should stop talking so you guys can hear the session and you'll know what we're talking about when we get there. I will say that one thing that, that happened, I made reference to it, like right in the beginning of the session is that we were about to start the session and her son came in and she was like, like kind of going off, not really going off on him, but she was like, I'm doing therapy. What are you doing? I told you I was doing therapy. You know, you need to, but whatever it was, she just had a moment. It wasn't that big, but that's, I mean, you will hear us jump right in with, wow. So losing you. She says something like uh, the first thing she said to me was, Oh God, I'm sorry you had to hear that. I, I, I never really lose my cool, at least not in public anyway. And then that's where I just jump in and kind of go, well, was I losing your cool? And, and let's, so we jump right in. I think you and I will jump out of the way so you guys can jump in. Yes. And we'll be back and break it down with you in just a little bit. Not to dive right in, but let's dive right in. You're losing your cool happens internally and you yeah. just kind of like, absorb it and keep going and put on the air of cool but we know better yeah i think we're learning better i know that it's it could be better so Hmm. that's why i need help we're doing it we are and i can't remember if last week what we talked about towards the end was kind of what we named the that that the two voices in your head that you hear the, the the strict rigid sarah and then the softer sarah and the, the idea eventually is to merge them because there really is only one Sarah. Yes. But what we were, what I kind of was getting at, and that's why I didn't remember if I asked you to, to look for it, was looking for places where you can hear, take notice of when one of them is more dominant or one comes out or when, when you might hear one, but don't act on it. This was sort of the first time that I had even kind of had that realization ish. I mean, I've, I've always known that there's two sides to me, but it was these last couple of months that I really heard them sort of Mm -hmm. doing battle in my head. Right. Right. Now that we, we kind of bring this to awareness, it really is just about noticing it. It's not necessarily changing it or getting mad at yourself for having one there or not. It's just building that awareness, I love giving things names because once we name it, it's it's easier to pay attention to it. We've talked about Mama Bear and Little Sarah and when you can notice one or the other. It's just being aware of where they are and when they are. And yeah. if there's any sort of discomfort coming from, well, one of those voices or one of those ways of being is coming out and I want the other one and I'm aware of it here. That's great. That's leading us to 
being able to merge and, and get them, get you to be able to choose what version comes out where and when? Well, I mean, I can tell you off, like just off the bat right now that for strict Sarah, I, it really only rears its evil head, not at home, not in situations where I'm surrounded by family and friends and my children. There's no, there's no judgment in that setting for me because people are people and they're human. And, and I'm, I, I have a, a sort of rule that professionalism is separate from who you are when you're at home and you're kicking around in your boxers or whatever, (laughs) your leggings, and one that you put aside when you walk into an office, for the most part, in the sense that you are now being professional, you are now considering your, your job, your responsibilities, how they affect other people. I don't know. To me, that's always just been a no-brainer. So I I have a lot more, maybe judgmental is the right word. I don't feel like I'm being judgmental as much as like holding them to a standard that I believe is correct, if that makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It does. I mean, judgmental seems strong because it seems like I am judging them, right? It could be right. It could be the right word. Yeah, I, I think it is the right word because what you're talking about is somebody should be doing something and they're not. Well, that should be doing and that sense of you know righteousness is comes from you when you have that righteous quest. Yes. And then and you just smiled when you said that, right? You're like, yeah, there's something there. <laughs> yeah, there is something there. I will call a very, very, very small amount of bullshit on this, but not one that you recognize and that you know, that idea that that strict Sarah, righteous Sarah, it only comes out at work. Nope. It only, I think, has that righteous quest to it and that charge to it in the professional realm. I agree. However, the same mechanism and where it exists in you comes out all over the place. Think back to the very first thing you said to me when we started this session. Oh, my son. Yes, but I already told him I was doing therapy and he wasn't supposed to be here. Right. He wasn't supposed to be here. It, that's why it's so subtle. It's very, very small. And I'm, I'm bringing it to our awareness so you recognize, oh, wow, even in something that's like not a big deal, and of course I would do this. I wouldn't want that to go away. My son said this, and he's not doing what he said he's doing. Hmm. That's the same mode. You're absolutely right. That's funny. It's, yep, nope, that just totally pulled bullshit on me. And and it was totally right, too. And you know what's funny is, it's so funny that that you actually called that, because last night, boyfriend and I got into a huge discussion about those exact kind of things. I don't have a lot of rules, but I have certain rules and I expect those to be followed. I don't ever expect him to clean the house or, you know, make it look extra awesome. But I I do expect to come in the house and not find a sink full of dishes and crap all over Mm -hmm. the floor. So he went, he was basically telling me how much he does and how much he goes out of his way to make sure that I don't come home and get upset. And then I was like, Name one time I've gotten upset. 
<laughs> Anyways, we went back and forth and he was like, no, no, you're right. You don't actually get upset. But he's like, I feel that you're upset. And I'm like, okay, well then I'm giving that back to you. In the end, I think he just really wanted to be appreciated for what he does. And I understood that. And I did. Yeah. Also in our discussion, I wanted to be appreciated for how many allowances mm. I've made since he came into my life and right. how right. far I have changed, you know, how much I've changed my attitude. I've made so many allowances for so many things. I've got junk drawers in each of the rooms. <laughs> I've got even right. a junk drawer just for him. So, so I think there was an element of both of us kind of wanting to be recognized for how much we had gone toward the other person in a sense of, look what I've been right. doing for you kind of thing. I think he's, he's in his own movie. First of all, the conversation you have with boyfriend, I think is great because it's really coming to something with each other and communicating, which I know is big for you. I love that you kind of pulled out and caught that, oh, wait, that judgment, he's putting it on me. That's his, that's his thing. Okay. But you didn't stop there. You're like, but what's going on? What is it that you're really asking for? Oh, you want recognition and validation for what you do. Okay. And here's the thing that I don't want to just let it slide and say, ah, it's okay. You also want that. It does matter. And, and maybe he needs to hear directly from you. Like, hey, you know, I actually like when, when I get some praise and validation for the things that I do too. I, I would love to get more of that. It's not saying he's doing anything wrong or he's doing something bad. It's highlighting something that would be nice. And you would like to see, and it gives him the opportunity to do it. Sort of like saying, yeah, you know, I, I love when there are fresh flowers in a vase in the house. And then it's in his mind, for example, and he might pick up flowers, put them in a vase, put it somewhere. And, and wow, that's wonderful. And it means so much to you. If you don't mention that and say that's something you might like, he might never think about it. And if you say, you never bring me flowers. Why don't you bring me flowers? I get what you're saying. It makes, it makes perfect sense. Boyfriend then would never think of it. So. Right. And, it's a good and <laughs> starting saying point. it in, in a way that that's, that's a, I would love the, the presence of this positive thing, not scolding him for the absence of it. Yeah. And that that's an invitation. I don't want to be dismissive with that one and brush that aside because that's, that is something that will eventually accumulate. Yeah. And fast forward several years and it will turn into resent and you will keep scoring your head, but he might not, ne he might never be aware of the score. Mm -hmm. And it's not about score. It's about something that you would like. I think I, I have more understanding overall when somebody does something purposefully or non purposefully. So it's, it's very clear to me that boyfriend wants to do whatever I want him to do, but he doesn't really know how to go about it or he's not comfortable with it. So it's the same, it's the same pretty much with everybody I know. I generally tend to have little to no reaction, even if the outward appearance looks like something, you know, mm. like calling bullshit on me. What I'm really doing is thinking, okay. 
what is what does that really mean? So he didn't say exactly what I wanted him to say, but I won't go to sleep feeling mad at him or feeling upset at him because I know his, you know, where he, where his heart is at. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're looking at intention. Yes. What is somebody's intention? That's the word. Yeah. That's really important for you. And it's something that sometimes it might be a really good intention, but a poor execution. That's okay because their intention is good, but it doesn't let them off the hook for everything entirely. A line I love saying for that is, it explains it, but it doesn't excuse it. I like that. And there's there's something I want to go back to something because I, I, you and I have each repeated it during the session when I said I was going to call bullshit on you. Mm-hmm. You and I have both repeated that phrase a couple times. So as we say it, and you're smiling at, as we say it, and I know we have our language, but I want to know what that means for you to have me call bullshit on something. What that as you're hearing it, as you're as it's in your head, because it is now in your head. So tell me a little bit about what that is for you. Well, when you said it, I thought, oh gosh, what, you know, now I, I'm going to be embarrassed. But as soon as you started talking, I was like, oh my God, that is bullshit. I feel in my heart that I have a different attitude when I'm at work than I do at home. But when you called bullshit, I saw the connection. So to me, that's what it meant, which is actually you're wrong, essentially. Yeah. And, and that's, that's exactly why I wanted to use, why I did use that phrase. And mm-hmm. I, I tried to soften it as I said it, because something else happened to you. And we have two pieces to work on with this. One is the thing that we're talking about. Those two. Sarah. Recognizing, as I said, there really is only one. Sarah. But these are two sides. And we're seeing where they're prominent, where they're not. Your awareness of them is heightened in the professional realm and you see it more there. And what we're highlighting is, oh, right. It also exists elsewhere and at home. There's that piece of what we're working on. I'm confident that you understand that and you see it. And it's, again, just the awareness of knowing it's there. Yeah, totally. I mean, when I started that, when I started talking, I I literally would have kept those two, Sarah, completely separate. And now I see them actually together. (laughs) Right. Remember, the goal of, of what we're doing with this is to see them as separate, to understand them, to have a relationship with them, to be able to have some choice over when they come out and consciousness about them, and then to merge them. So what you're seeing is, oh, right, there is one, Sarah, and they're both kind of enmeshed and intertwined. That's the motion you made with your hands, right? Yeah. (laughs) I want to make sure that as we build the awareness of this, you're not beating yourself up too much. And you're not, you're not looking at- That's never going to happen. Well, hang on, hang on there. No, honestly, I'm not beating myself up right now. I'm really thinking. And I, I cause now I'm seeing all the ways that they're, right. that they're always both right. there. This is the other piece of the calling bullshit. And this is what you just did with, I'll never get there. It was, you smiled, you were kind of making light, making a joke, the dismissive hand. And it, it's sort of saying, in a sense, you're saying, I can't do that. And you can, and you will. And it doesn't take you working so hard to make that happen and to not be that anymore. 
No, it takes what you are doing, which is us talking about this and bringing awareness to these things so you can recognize them more. Absolutely. When I use the phrase call bullshit, and I tried to soften it a bit, but I used it in a way because we also get the benefit now of working on something else, which is what you just said, what you almost just dismissed, that I did something wrong. Uh Uh-oh, I'm going to be embarrassed. I'm going to feel guilty. Yep. Tell me a little bit about that as I say that, because this is an area for us to bring some awareness, understanding, and compassion. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, there's probably a huge thing here, which I know if I start talking about it, it will probably get bigger and bigger. But there's something that happens to your brain when you grow up in a cult, completely like cut off from the world, cut off from anybody outside of your environment. No education, no idea of not even music. We weren't even allowed to listen to music that wasn't made by the cult. So so when you do what I did and just take off as a young teenager, you know zero. Everything is a shock. Everything, it hits you in the face like a thousand miles an hour. And you just have to pretend. You probably grew up watching Full House, didn't you? Totally. I have no fucking clue what full house is. Are you kidding me? So there was always a little bit of fear that one of my quote lies or getting called out on something like that. So what was the name of the little girl in that show? I should be like, fuck. (laughs) Sorry. But so, so there is that constant fear or at least there was, let's say for, let's say a good 10 years until I found my footing, you know, I figured out what I was good at. I started getting education. I started actually being able to talk about things and know about things and do things. And I wasn't just saying I could do it or I knew about it. So that's partly maybe something that there's still maybe that element of fear there. Like, Oh crap. You know, I just said that I, knew this, or I felt this, or I thought this, but that was not correct, maybe. And then the other part of it is that I do actually take a bit of issue with people who fib (laughs) a lot. Mm -hmm. I I don't Mm -hmm. like it. I don't like when people pretend or make stuff up. I hate when people get themselves out of situations where they should be held accountable because they just lie. And that bothers me too. So thinking, oh shit, did I just, was I just that person? (laughs) That also freaks me out a little bit. So who knows? I am my own worst enemy, really. And you are your own best friend. (laughs) And and we're navigating this. This is what we're doing. And this, this is the space to kind of swim in this and figure this out. This is a place where you can say, oh, I don't know. And... I, I'll tell you a couple of stories and we'll see how they highlight. One's going to involve pink. So I know you'll like that because that's your color. Yeah. Right? It's a little bit about this because what you're describing is growing up in a cult and leaving at a young age and everything hitting you at a thousand miles an hour. Yeah. You, your brain was, was developed and you were conditioned a certain way. And I would say 
and I really tried to soften it, but I wanted to use the phrase, and it's how we talk, calling bullshit. Believe it or not, as a therapist, I would say that's a traumatic thing to say to you. Hmm. And it might not have seemed that way to you, partly because it was softened and partly because we have a rapport and a way of talking, and you know you're safe with me. Yeah, I see you. I see your right. intention. Yep. Yeah, exactly. The phrase, though, is is a certain phrase that did make you like, oh, shit, what did I do wrong? Oh, no, I'm going to be embarrassed. I'm going to be exposed. And that's a trauma response. You grew up where the consequences of anything like that were very, very severe. And even as a teenager and beyond, if you didn't know what full house was, those consequences were severe. No, those were scary. All that yeah. stuff was terrifying. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so many people, as they grow up, forget what it's like to be a teenager in school. It is so scary, a lot of these things and fitting in. When I was in the music business, this is back in the 90s, and there were all these indie bands and cool kids and, and cool people. And, and I, was a, I was a kid. I dropped out of college to go work at this place. And, and people would be talking about all these indie bands. And to get the right cred, you know, I'd have to kind of go, oh, yeah, yeah, I love them. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was really tough because I was constantly fronting like I knew who these people were. And it was so stressful because I was such the outsider trying to fit in. And then I kind of hit a point where I went, wait a second, let me flip this somehow so I don't feel like the inferior one. Let me make it not about that. I didn't want to make those mistakes and it was too stressful. So when they'd name a band, I would just go, oh, no, I haven't heard of them. Who do they sound like? Do you think I would like them? What album should I get? And I I became more curious about it and inquisitive and allowed them to educate me about it. And it wasn't like, oh, that guy doesn't even know. It's like, no, I, I don't know. Tell me about it. And it flipped it. I want to see if we can invite that in because that's not it's not something you've practiced much and it's not something for you that's ever really felt safe. So if it feels foreign, yeah, it's going to feel foreign because you couldn't do that. You couldn't do that in the cult. You couldn't do that in your social scene. And when you got out, you, you couldn't do that. It was too scary. It was not okay. My children are teaching me that lesson. Honestly, I've gotten to a point now where I'm just like, no, I, I'm, I have no idea. Tell me about them or play a song awesome. of theirs. Before I would be very like, no, of course I know that. And I, and it, it's been a long time since I was 15. I just, I can't keep up anymore. Something that I think about when I think of you is, is one, you wanting to absorb all the information and going into the library. Yeah. Do the, if you think of the world as your library and people can educate you, great. Educate yep. me. Yeah, you know? I love that. Yeah. The pink story is one that highlights the difference between arrogance and confidence. Yeah. I think there is a fine line. And I there think is. arrogance can be repulsive for many and confidence is very attractive. And I remember as a kid, a young kid, I think it was in the 80s, I was watching a early morning motocross race. And this one racer showed up to the race in full pink leathers, <laughs> hot pink Love leathers and a, and, a, and a pink helmet. And they showed right before the race started and they showed him, they showed a little interview they did before the race. And he said he was so sure he was going to win that he said he went out and spent $25,000 on those hot pink leathers. And I kind of was like, wow, really? And then he won the race. 
And I thought, wow, this is a guy that's so confident that he's going to go out and do that. He's going to say it. He's going to do that. Wow. That was, that was cool. That's a whole nother level of confidence. I, suppose. <laughs> I love that story. You know, I, I really, I actually really love that story. I have full confidence in myself, not arrogance, confidence. If right. I'm not put on the spot, if I had to say, Oh, I'm absolutely going to win this race. I would not have the confidence. I would instantly get anxiety because I don't have time. There's no redos, right? There's no control Z on that bike. Yeah. (laughs) So, so those types of that level of confidence freaks me out. I won't ever say, oh yeah, watch this just in case. I make a mistake. I'm sure there's a whole nother suitcase there to unpack with that one, but (laughs) (laughs) too much anxiety. Yep. It's anxiety. It's about like, oh, wow, it's a performance, but I'm being judged on the performance. That judgment, ooh, don't like that. But performance, you do. You were were a performer. Well, yes, I was. But when I was that, I hated it. I hated every second of every minute I was in front of that camera. I hated it. I would sometimes throw up before I went on the set. Cause I would get so much anxiety. Really? I don't like, I don't even like the sound of my voice. You know, when I was a teenager, 12 or 13, there was this one music video that I was the air quotes star of. And there's one point I remember where I'm sideways. And for the first time in my life, I saw my profile and uh, I burst yeah. into tears. I right. just thought it was the ugliest, like, I I don't know. I am very, very hard on myself. And I felt so much anxiety about that video and I wanted to die. And I'll never forget Mm. that moment. I was so mortified just about based on how I looked. So there's a huge part of me that hates the direct spotlight, the direct spotlight. I can Mm. perform above average Basically, any time until you make me, until you put me on the spot or put me in a competition. Some people thrive on that energy. Yep. But there's there's something about as you're describing this and talking about this, you sound very confident in your abilities, but you don't like when there's judgment or an expectation or an obligation. Then it becomes pressure, becomes stress. I might do it wrong. There might be consequences. And that's, I would say, holding that fear. Yeah. Right? For some, like adrenaline junkies will will kind of chase the fear to get the rush. I'm on the opposite side of those people. <laughs> right. I don't even like roller coasters. Right. The, the fear for you has such huge consequences and is, yeah, doesn't feel good. It's not like, oh, let me overcome this fear. No, it's crippling. And this is where the compassion for you comes in because we're, in a sense, we're, we're talking about little Sarah. Yeah, it is. We're talking about what that, what that experience was for her. Scary, it's petrifying. I hated it. Yeah, I really did. Yeah. We won't go into situations where that's going to happen. It's, and it's not about overcoming it. It's about recognizing, oh, yeah. Yes. That makes me really uncomfortable. There's a phrase that if it's hysterical, it's historical. 
like that. And I think for you that, oh, right. If there's a lot of fear around something, well, it's probably because of something. Yeah. There's a phrase I think I, I dropped on you that I, I love using when we feel nervous or anxious about something or it's kind of going, well, wait, is this thing really unsafe or does it remind me of a time when I felt unsafe? And if it's the time that I felt unsafe, can I remember that I got through it? For you, though, that feeling unsafe, you really often were unsafe. Yeah. So it's hard to distinguish feeling unsafe, remembering a time when you felt unsafe and actually being unsafe. To you, that feeling is real. I actually got in huge trouble for that. What the story I just told you, I think I ran to the bathroom and I was for sure was crying. I see I'm almost positive I got sick at least once. And then I got in so much trouble because I was basically like, how dare you? You know, you're one of the lucky kids. You get to do Mm. this kind of stuff. I just remember going to bed just thinking like, oh my God, what is wrong with me? I'm a horrible person. (laughs) Of course I wasn't. I was 12 and I wasn't super fond of my profile. And I see that now. And you know, everybody has stuff that they don't love. Now that I'm older and wiser, I see that. But at the time it was the biggest thing in my life. It was like, oh, that's it. everybody's going to laugh at me and make fun of me because I am just the ugliest person ever. Right. And it's, it's a protective mechanism. We're protecting ourselves from feeling that, from doing that. And we're scared of that. Yeah. Because it wasn't the case. I had nobody to talk to about it either. You know, like my kids come to me with things like this and now I can, I can be there with them and, and, and go through it with them and give them advice and love and comfort. And that just wasn't a thing. So yeah, that there's for sure. There's for sure. A lot of those painful, just regular childhood emotions that you go through that were just all painful because there was no way through it. It was the biggest thing in my life. And I had to deal with it on my own whilst being punished for having a less than optimal response. Right. And that's, oh, it's, it's heartbreaking when you say like, it broke my heart. What you're describing breaks my heart. Yeah, me too. It's, it's, yeah. it's horrible. I feel it when I talk yeah. about it. I still feel it. Of course, of course you would, because it, it's still right there. What you're describing is like two steps the first step being, I didn't have anybody to talk to, right? I didn't have any way of understanding what was going on, what I was feeling. And, and, and that's really isolating and really confusing. And then the second step is, and I was judged for that and punished for that. So not only was I isolated, but I was punished. Yep. It was not safe. Yep. And you really quickly learn to just start pushing stuff down. You know, it only took a couple of those times. Right Now the reaction happened in here and nobody ever knew. My face was just a stone. Yeah. And and this is part of our work. What we're doing is softening that stone so we can get to that and allow that to come out. Because that's that's little Sarah who didn't get to be little Sarah. Mama bear protected, but little Sarah just got shoved down. Yeah. You sound like 
an incredibly sensitive person. Yeah, I am. I mean, by nature, for sure. (laughs) Mean Sarah comes in to help sensitive Sarah with those moments. Help and protect, and for good reason. This is where the compassion comes in. Yes, I don't want mean Sarah to go away. It's not safe to. It won't feel safe to. It'll leave, you know, little Sarah too exposed. Mm-hmm. We can't, can't do that. But we're, I think, gradually getting there because that, that sensitive side to you inside, I don't think many people see. They see the exterior, which is the one that's like, no, I'm good. I'm cool. It's fine. No problem. The dismiss, yep, keep going. People go, oh, she's so strong. Yeah, and she's also vulnerable and sensitive. That's a side that I would, I would bet comes out with boyfriend, maybe sometimes comes out with kids. With my family. I think my family are really the only people who actually know who I am. Yeah. That's how you get to be you. Yeah. And being able to find that and bring it out in other places when it's safe. Yeah. When it's safe. That's, that's the exact thing when it's safe because right. I don't always feel I, I've, I've been too trustful a lot of times in my life, especially when I first left the cult right. too vulnerable, too naive, too trustful and horrible shit has happened to me after yeah. leaving the cult just because I was the perfect victim. So on top of having already put up all these walls and done all these things to protect myself, there was a whole nother element of protection that had to then come in for this new world now that I was dealing with. And people who were, who are predators and who are evil, they don't just live in cults, (laughs) you know, they're literally (laughs) everywhere. everywhere. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And it's very hard. It's very hard. When you're so naive, you believe everybody's intention is good. Over the years, obviously, I've honed my skills of perception, but also I've learned that that you can't actually trust anybody until they prove that they can be trusted. That's at least for me. That's the experience I've had. Yeah. Absolutely. And I I like the way you tag that, like at least for me and owning that we are always going to err on the side of your safety. Yeah. Because feeling unsafe is not okay. No, it's not. It sucks. Even if something is safe, feeling unsafe is not okay. That's part of of living through that trauma. That's part of what you carry and we're going to find ways to feel more safe in places so that we can actually be more safe in places. And there's a calibration of that because when you're, (laughs) when you're sort of that softer Sarah, you can do that with your kids and in places when you're on the righteous quest, it sounds different. You've got an incredible openness, willingness, and ability to hear it see it for yourself, apply it. And what I'm hoping is some compassion for yourself. So you don't beat yourself up or try to correct right away. It's just going, Oh, okay. I understand that. I see that. And just let it sink in. And I think, you know, this, the work that we're doing, it's about letting it sink in gradually 
seeing some change over time, not like, okay, I'm going to fix that. Great. I'll work on that. I'll handle everything. Sure. We got it. No problem. And it's going to happen. Yep. We're going to do that. It's going to be cool. But in the meantime, compassion for yourself. Thank you, Doug. And we are back. Hello. Hi there. Hi. Hello. So <laughs> we were just, we were talking about this a, a little bit ago about how I'm coming in mm-hmm. just listening to this session. Right. I think I listened to maybe one or two other ones because I was interested in just knowing a little more of her history right. and what she right. was coming in with. But there is also something cool just looking at as, as a therapist, listening to this one session having curiosity about Doug's approach, having curiosity about the client, all while at the same time understanding that there's a lot I don't know about Sarah and your work with her. Right. When I think about Sarah and what kept coming up for me is this is someone whose primary needs were not met as a kid. Right. When our parents do not love us, take care of us in the way that we need, Uh big or small, we don't have the brain as kids to think um, mom is falling short or dad's a piece of shit, whatever it is. Right, right. We internalize it and we think I'm not worthy of being loved. I am a piece mm-hmm. of shit. And you can see those very old narratives come up even within this short session that I listened to. Oh yeah, totally. And I'll, I'll take that even further with her. It, it wasn't just that she wasn't getting the needs met of love and support. She wasn't getting the need met of protection. Right. Right. And she was somebody who was born into a cult. So there was mm. pretty severe abuse and trauma all around her. Yeah. Physical, verbal, mental, unit, psychological, all of it. And there was no protection. So she had to somehow develop a mechanism to protect. Yeah. Right. She has created systems of safety. That's, that's what I call it. It's like, wow. Mm. And she just has these systems of safety, these rules, these rights, these wrongs, these shoulds, these shouldn'ts, which can come off as rigidity and control. Remember, right. control is about safety. We think of Absolutely. control as this terrible thing, but she had to come up with these systems of safety because no one protected her. Right. And she as an adult is still protecting herself and little Sarah right. because no one else did. Yeah. And there's, well, good insight makes me think of two things off the bat. One, that protection that she is giving to herself now as an adult, that's what we've called sometimes with her strict Sarah or rigid Sarah yes. or mama bear big Sarah, she'll do that because now she can, right? right? No one else did. So she does that. And it might be very pronounced because she's compensating for not having had it before. Yes. So she's being a parent to herself that she never got. And she's doing that often in a hypervigilant way where it's at friends' houses, you know, with other people's kids, with her own kids, with her boyfriend, with her siblings, it's just going to be pronounced because no one ever did it. So she's just doing it everywhere she can and right. making up for, right? Right. I wonder how people in her life or outsider perceive that because they're not going, oh, that's her trauma. This is her protection. I wonder what the perception would be right. of her. Yeah. And that's a few sessions ago. She was talking about being at a, I think it was her friend's house. It might've been a sibling or a friend's house and cleaning up. Like everybody was in the kitchen and she was there cleaning up. Mm. And the friend said, you realize you can't just go to another woman's kitchen and start cleaning up. Uh, right? uh, and she talked about, Sarah did about how 
she never thought that other people would feel uneasy right. if she was going into these, you and I, Bonnie, have talked about this, these compulsions. Yes. Right? It's going to bleed us into the second thing I was going to say about the systems of safety you were talking about yeah. and something you texted me when you were listening uh-huh. to the episode. Right? Uh-huh. So go ahead, say your thing yeah. and then come back okay, to systems so this of safety. Is what I, I love that. I want to be very clear that Well, personally, as a therapist, I don't love diagnoses. Like I don't, I think they're important definitely sometimes, but I also want to consider trauma history. I want to consider individuality. Right. I think that people get misdiagnosed, overdiagnosed. I don't think we count for oppression and trauma as much as we should. So as therapists, we're not going, what's the diagnosis here? We're going, who are you? What have you been through? Yes. I want to be let in to right. do all of the world. However, at the same time, I know I can't help sometimes, but when I hear <laughs> something and it's something maybe I specialize in or I have personal experience in to go, I wonder if this is what's happening here. Because uh-huh. I don't know Sarah's every I have literally listened to maybe a half an hour of her speaking. Mm-hmm. But something that would be on my mind would be and I would never give this diagnosis. I need to work with somebody for probably a year before I really talked about sure. it is this diagnosis that often gets overlooked, which is OCPD. Right. People think it's the same as OCD. It's not. Nope. It's obsessive nope. compulsive personality disorder. Right. right. Again, so not diagnosing Sarah right. at all. And sometimes we say, is this a personality disorder or is this trauma? Right. Exactly. Right. And also knowing that a lot of times personality disorders can come from trauma. Right. Right. But what I'm seeing here is there's a lot of perfectionism, these systems mm-hmm. of safety, the rights, wrongs, there's a rigidity right. to it. Right. Which is, we said before, of like, of course. Right. I don't see how Sarah, like she is thriving with what I know of her background. Yeah. It's incredible. <laughs> she sounds like an amazing mother, an amazing protector the fact that she was able to get out of an abusive relationship and a cult and a cult. <laughs> right? I yeah. mean, it's, it's truly, it's incredible. Right. So again, I'm not right. saying she has this, but there is that perfectionism oftentimes in my experience with people who have OCPD and I've worked with it professionally and I have it personally in my life with a good friend and with a family member. There's this idea with professionalism. They have these ethics and morals and values, which I often very much agree with, but they really, really struggle when other people do not, don't. And so I heard that that a lot. And she said, uh, it's not that I'm judging. And then she laughed at herself. She's got a great humor. She's like, maybe I am. But in a professional environment, there are certain things that you should and shouldn't do. And she said that again with, I have certain rules and I expect my boyfriend to follow them. Right. And then when she talked about that incident with her son, there was another, I think she said, he knows he shouldn't do that. You don't do that. Right. And we all feel that way with things. But sometimes if you are in the OCPD range, it's really hard. Like, why would you do that? Right. That is morally wrong. That is ethically wrong. That is. So anyway, I was just curious if that was something that ever came on your radar. Yeah. And it's interesting because I'll, I'll... Going back to the second thing I was going to say about system of safety. Oh, sorry. Sometimes oh, no, I just no, no, keep no. randomly. No, no but this is this is we're tangenting okay. around and because I could keep back. going. I love talking. <laughs> really, I can't relate to that at all. <laughs> um, so I will come back to the to your OCPD question or yeah. or thought. I, I will say that that system of safety. I loved how you phrased that, and it's something I learned a long time ago, back when 
there was MPD, multiple personality disorder. Yes, yes. And my mom, a therapist who specialized in that and deprogramming people coming out of cults, she would work with this. It's called dissociative, dissociative identity uh, yes. disorder now. DID. Right. I remember talking to my mom about it and thinking, oh, so, so it, wait, it's just a defense mechanism that you develop because of trauma? And she said, no, no, no. It's an incredibly advanced system. Yes. And a brilliant, brilliant system. Right. To protect. And that's, you know, for her, I did call a few things to her attention and just challenge them and doing it very carefully. And I even called out how carefully I was doing it. I think the second time I did it, right? But there were things that I would hear her saying like, uh, well, I'm not really beating myself up about it. I'm like, well, yeah, you are. Right. Yeah. Right? To kind of move to that because mm. that was a time that I paused and wanted to listen to it again. Mm. So you called bullshit on her and you did right. it in such a loving way. And I could tell, oh, they have, they have this thing here. They've right. got a language together. Right. They have a connection together or else I know Doug, he wouldn't have framed it like that. So later down the line, you mm -hmm. call bullshit. She says, oh, totally. She totally agrees with you. And then later down the line, she brings up that you called bullshit again. Oh, you were talking about intention. She said, right. if I know the underlying intention, it diffuses the emotion. It becomes okay for me. Right. Like I know my boyfriend's intention was this. She's very aware. Right, 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 right. But her example that she uses is like, when you called bullshit on me, I could have been mad at you or not, well, maybe she said something about not sleeping at night. Right. But I knew your intention. Right. So then I became really interested because I look <laughs> a lot at, at, at transference. Uh -huh. I believe there's so much healing that can be done just by the dynamic and the relationship of therapist Absolutely. and client. Right. And I'm sitting there at like, okay, so Doug, no, I don't know. I don't know her profile. I know she uses she, her pronouns. I know her name's Sarah. That's all I know. But <laughs> I also know you, you are a white cisgender male. Right. So I'm aware of that and uh -huh. the power dynamics of that in the room, but uh -huh. also my assumption, please correct me if I'm wrong, is that perhaps the cult leader was male. Oh yeah. Right. Yep. Yep. I know because I asked you the relationship with dad, dad was the safe, safest person. Safest. Yeah. Right. Not very safe, but the safest. And right. then he totally left and abandoned her. Correct. So I'm going, what is going to unfold between Doug and Sarah here? Hmm. And hmm. how can that be a place for her to really repair. It's, it's clearly already there. She feels safe with you. But she did kind of mention, I could feel mad at you for not saying what I wanted you to say, but I know where you were coming from. And then you said, I want to go back to something, right? which is really great. You went back to what that was like. But yeah, I wonder, I'm looking at my notes here because my notes are, does she trust men? Does she as a woman feel smaller than men? How does that play out with you? What systems of safety has she created to be safe with men? Accommodator? Because oftentimes right. with your, I'll give it to you, you're really good at metaphors. You're really good at your disclosures are very thoughtful hmm. and they're smart. And I can see how your clients are like, oh, totally. That makes sense. Every time you do it with her, she eats it up and uh -huh. she's like, oh, I love that story. And I'm wondering, I'm sure a lot of that's real, but how much of that too is trauma with men and feeling like- yep. Right. Yep, like yep. I'm smaller than, and, and as therapists, I think we're put on a pedestal yeah, in a way. Absolutely. I'm coming to you. I'm paying you. You're the expert. You're you, the expert. Right. Right. With Sarah and earlier instance, 
I was saying, I'm checking in with her because she's taking something that we said, we talked about, and it made sense to her, which is, I'm putting a pin in that phrase. I'll come back to that. It made sense to her. And then she implements it and tells me about it the next week. I'm thinking, wait, is she just telling me about this? Right. <laughs> there's, uh-huh. there's your realization, uh-huh. right? Because of that power dynamic that you're yes. talking about, because she wants to be a good girl. Good girl, right? good client, uh-huh. loved by you. Uh-huh. Don't, don't want to be abandoned, right? right. So uh, I, I test it sometimes good. and kind of look at like, wait, hang on, why are we doing this? You know? Or would you be able to tell me if right. this didn't click for you? Right. Or if that, when I called bullshit on you, would you be able to tell me that that really hurt? Right. Which is why I modeled that in a sense when I kind of came back to it yes. and said, Hey, me calling bullshit on you. And she was like, Oh yeah, I loved it. Loved it. Loved it. Right. Like, right. We can, we can stay in that zone. And that's like, cool. As a therapist, calling bullshit can be a very traumatic phrase and a traumatic thing. And yes. even I was watching her as I said it. And while I'm saying it the first time, like, well, I want to want to say something and I'm going to do it softly. Or I'm going to do, you know, however I introduced it. And then I said it and I'm watching her and listening for her. And she jumped. I was like, oh, totally. Yes. It's bullshit. Like, ah, that's a trauma response too. Totally. Caretaking. Yeah. Caretaking you. Yep. And when I hear, you know, the thing I put a pin in, that phrase that people say, clients say to me all the time, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. I hear that. <laughs> every time I hear that. Totally. There's, right. There's, all the time. Yeah. There's a part of me that no longer goes, yes, it makes sense. Right. Nope. I do the opposite. I go, fuck. Yes. Right. Yes. Oh, man, I just made it intellectual. Now they're getting it intellectually. Yeah. That's cool. Or that's really smart. Right. Right. That's really <laughs> huh. smart. Huh. Is it? Oh, yeah. That's right. okay. And that that's okay. It's a good thing to to have that, to have that awareness, right. that intellectual awareness, fine. I realize, oh, wait, we're missing something else. Yes. Right? If we just stay at this intellectual place and we get it and we move on, ah, this isn't just a learning thing. Like, take notes. You're going to learn how to be, you know, the better version of you that you want to be. Here it right. is. Oh, that makes sense. Cool. Noted. I will correct that next time. Right. And the elevator is still in the attic. Right. Right. So it's to go to that, the thing that that came up for me. And as I said before, I know, Doug. I trust you clinically. Right. If I didn't know you and I just listened to this, this is the one thing that maybe I would have done differently. Not a big thing. So first of all, I love when you talk about that it is hard to distinguish feeling unsafe versus being unsafe. Uh And Sarah was actually unsafe. Right. All of this stuff we're talking about comes from a place of actually being unsafe as a kid. Right. I can't even think about how it would feel for her to shed all these defense mechanisms. Right. She has to be protected. Right. And I think in work with you, she can understand she is safe now. Right. How can we thank those defense mechanisms for protecting her, but also say, I don't need you now. Mm-hmm. But you talked about that and then something came up and you said, which I loved, it breaks my heart. Because it is heartbreaking as much as we can report and share things from an intellectual place. At the end of the day, what you are talking about, even in this session, is heartbreaking. Right. And you modeled that. You held the emotion for her, which was wonderful. She says, it breaks my heart too. I can still feel it. Yeah. And that was the first time because she's so smart and insightful and she's so good at telling you the trauma. So she's telling all these hard things. It seems to be in a very cerebral place. And again, I'm not seeing her. I'm only listening. 
And so when she says, it breaks my heart too, I can still feel it. Yep. And I heard like a little shift in her voice. Yep. Yep. There's a glimpse of emotion. Uh-huh. You continued to verbally reflect the feelings. Uh-huh. And I wanted you so badly to bring uh-huh. it to a here and now yep. and say, are you feeling it right now? Right. Or where do you feel it in your body yep. as like a follow-up question? Yep. Because again, there's incredible insightful dialogue, but I'm wondering if Sarah can allow you to witness the emotion and pain in the room. Yeah. I love that. I love that. <laughs> What I love the most about this is it, this is this is really reminding me of Princess Bride, uh, this the sword fight scene. Do you remember the sword fight Here scene? Here we go. Oh, that's right. Do you remember the sword fight scene? Yes. When Inigo Montoya and the Dread Pirate Roberts, right? Yes. Or, and Inigo goes, uh, or they say something like, "Oh, you're smiling. Why? Because I know something you don't. I am not left-handed, you know." And he switches and he goes right-handed, right, right. gets the upper hand, and then the other guy smiles. Why are you smiling? I know something you don't. I'm not left-handed either, right? Right. So here's my I'm not left-handed. Yes, please tell me. Breaks my heart is her phrase. She used Mm. it several sessions ago. Ah. That's not my phrase. Right. I don't don't speak that way. Right. I do with her and Mm -hmm. I did with her because it's her phrase that she's used several times when she's, and I've reflected back to her when she's used it. Mm-hmm. You know, she'll say something like, yeah, when I think about that little Sarah, when I think about that, it breaks my heart or mm-hmm. my dad left. It was, it was heartbreaking. She said heartbreaking several times over many weeks. And we're at, this is her 14th session, right? Right. It's, we're getting into something and we have the trust. And so me saying, oh, that's heartbreaking. It breaks my heart. I'm reflecting her verbiage. Right. Which, which again was, I is perfect. And it was at the tail end of a session. I wanted to mark this as ah, here's mm-hmm. our emotion. I'm using your verbiage to mark this emotion. Mm-hmm. We will come back to this at some mm-hmm. point. We will use this phrase. We will hit this emotion when it's not the last minute of a session. Right. So you, if you would have maybe, cause she says it breaks my heart too. It was that I can still feel it. Now, if you had right. more time, you might kind of maybe if she's ready, she, again, you might be like, I don't think it's the time we talk about the therapeutic window. It's like, right. wait for it. Right. And this, this wasn't the time. And, and there the are time. times and, and you have to be very careful working with, with clients that have experienced such tremendous complex trauma Yes, that when they say something like, Oh God, that was horrible. I can still feel it. Right. You don't go, Oh, can we, can we talk about that feeling? Right. Like not with a minute and a half nope. left in a session. Nope. You do not do that. I knew there was a reason. I'm so glad to know. (laughs) (laughs) Every now and then I know what I'm doing. I think that it's so cool because I also, again, I'm five months ahead of what we're listening to. Wow. A lot of the work that we do and why I love people listening to a client repeatedly because they can hear some of the seeds that we plant early on in the work that we do and how we come back to it when that seed planted is a little sapling and when that sapling is a little tree. And then when that tree is a huge tree with lots of branches, it takes some time and it happens over time. And this is something that for her, there's so much trauma history there. She made a Bruce Almighty reference early, which is a movie where Morgan Freeman plays God, Jim Carrey plays this character that has the powers of God bestowed upon him for a while to see how it is. But when he first meets Morgan Freeman and Morgan Freeman's looking at his life, there's this filing cabinet. He's like, oh yeah, here's everything in your life. Here's everything that we need to look. And they open the filing cabinet and the whole drawer just goes whoosh. And this huge file, but like all these files just unpack. And Sarah made reference to that. That's awesome. All of her trauma, all of that she's experienced, she's shoved that in the drawer and closed it. 
And she's worried that if she opens it, it's going to do that. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. So we've used that as a reference. She'll say something like, yeah, that Bruce almighty drawer. And every now and then I'll say something like, I think we just pulled one of those files out and took a look at it. Uh, Right. So good. Right. Don't you love that? I love that because we have this reference that's hers, which again, breaks my heart. That phrase is hers. So we can show how we can touch heartbreak. We can touch it. We don't have to go there. We don't have to heal it. We can just touch it and know that it's there and acknowledge it and not be overwhelmed by that file cabinet just knocking us out. Right. Right. It is learning her references, learning her frames of reference, how it's going to work. So I'm using some of her language, but I'm showing some of her skills and some of her defenses and some of her vulnerabilities. It's all there. Right. Right. And I love that you, you talk a lot about little Sarah and Mm. mama bear. Yeah. Because it's really like it's, she has two kids. Yeah. Right. She gets to be her third. Like there's a lot of (laughs) like reparenting. And and I know sometimes when we talk about inner child, our clients are like, Oh, here we go. You're such a therapist, but you can see with Sarah just in the session, how she loves her children. Yet she struggles to really have compassion for that younger self who even in a music video saw her profile and truly wanted to die. Right. And with her trauma, I'm going, yeah, of course. It's not it's not about vanity here. It's about being seen in any which way right. is absolutely terrifying. Right. And I right. love that you call every time she charmingly, there's some self-deprecation, there's some dismissiveness, and you don't let any of that slide. You don't join her in that. You lovingly right. give her another way to help her create new um, neural pathways and new thoughts to say, or right. maybe this is an option too. Yeah, yeah. It's funny to me that like a month ago with her, we were literally just talking about being able to parent little Sarah now. Great. Like we said that in the session. We talked about that. Great. So what you're what you're seeing and picking up from this one session here and going, oh, well, there's this opportunity here. Yep, there is. We've named it. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why I use little Sarah. There's a reason why we've talked about parenting. There's a reason why we're going to use how she parents her kids, how she's going to parent herself. Yep we're doing the work and she's doing phenomenally. I'm excited to have you hear Sarah. Like, I I don't know, like hearing like a few in a row. So you see the progression or hearing like in a few from now, like that's what I've been thinking for the past 10 minutes of as much (laughs) as I, as much as I, I love your podcast, but as a therapist, we do this every day. Right. But this whole time, I really, really want to hear some of these future sessions right? because I can already see the workings of your relationship, her growth, her insight. And I'm really excited to see where this goes Yeah, and how her systems of safety can start to change. That's right. That's right. Right? You will see when you hear future sessions, you might even get a sense of if you go back and listen to a few to know what we just heard, Mm -hmm. what we've been through, like, oh, we've been leading up to this. Cool. And we're not asking our clients not to have any defense mechanisms. Like, I don't want to walk into this world without any sort of sense of psychological protection, Right. but I don't need them on all the time. It's like a coat in my closet. Oh, okay. Totally. I'm going to compartmentalize this. Pick and choose when you use it. I've even said to her, I think early on first or second session, the worst thing I could do for you right now is tell you to meditate. Hmm. Like, I would not suggest that. She was, oh, thank you. Like, I'm like, right. You're not there. No, there's no way. Nope. And a little, little spoiler alert, all you guys listening, like in about five months, you'll hear this. She actually said to me, 
now I can kind of see how I might be able to meditate someday. Amazing. Right. She's not there yet either in five months from now, but that seed that we planted, she's Mm. starting to see like, oh, maybe I can get there. You two have a really sweet connection. Because you're hearing her and you're remembering, and she's really hearing you. She's really taking you in. Yeah. I can feel the connection here, which yeah. again, for me, is the foundation of healing. If you don't feel safe and connected with your therapist, now sometimes that could be something in you, but if you can't share that similar language and get it, it doesn't work as doesn't well. Work it can still well. work. It yes. won't work as well. Exactly. Yeah. It's so cliche and it's so true to say I'm honored to do this work with my clients, yeah. really, because yeah. we're getting them at their most vulnerable and they are at the precipice of change, hopefully, and mm-hmm. seeing them go through the change and, and how they do it. It's it's fun for me because it's creative and taps into all of these experiences and resources yes. I have. And it's it really is cool to see somebody actively shift how right. they live their life. And it's interesting as we've been talking, there's a self-conscious kind of feeling that I have as therapists talking about this person that I, Mm. you're still getting to know. And I certainly know nothing about making all these judgments and assumptions and all these approaches that it feels like, are we manipulative? It's not. (laughs) And I get that. But also at the same time, I think what our clients don't really understand is how deeply we actually love and care for them and how we, we often feel as much as they can feel connected to us. I think when it really works, there's also that's reciprocated. Absolutely. And manipulate is not a bad word. It's yes. become one. But yes, when you, I you know, agree. when your daughter's doing something with Play-Doh, she's right. manipulating Play-Doh. Right. Right. We talked about this. Uh-huh. We talked about this word. <laughs> yeah, we did. We did. With Years Drew. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, we can think of manipulative in the bad. Like there's an evil. It's not right. about evil. It's no. about it's, it's about, about shaping. getting yes, shaping. I mean, we molding. are we are literally trying to help people reshape their minds and how they think about things, how they feel about things, not trying to make them into what we want. If anything, I'm guiding somebody to where they want to go. Mm -hmm. I know a way to get there and I'll help them get there based on how they can do something. I'm not going to take somebody through a shortcut that I know they can't handle. Right. I'm going to take the path that they can handle based on how they walk, how can they move? And we're going to take that path to the place they want to go ultimately, right. not where I think they should go. Right. And because mm-hmm. every client's different, again, you're not in your lab coming up with, you're attuned and you're connected to the actual person that's in front of you. So you're, you're being thoughtful and mindful and by being attuned to them, you kind of understand what pathway might be best, might be in their, in their benefit, just like self-disclosure. Come on back next week. Listen to where we're going, what we're doing. And if you want to see more of what we're doing and where we're going, you can find us on social media. We are on the Instagram, the Facebook, the TikTok, the Twitter. Just search for Your Mental Breakdown and you will find us. You can email us at info at yourmentalbreakdown.com. And if you have a minute, please rate us and review us on whatever platform you listen to us. It, It really does help raise our visibility so more people can hear and benefit from what we're doing. Bonnie, you will come back on. Like you're, you're in it now. You're in. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, what? Uh-oh. Okay. <laughs> no, thank you for having me. You're very welcome. And for being brave to actually put your work out there because no therapist wants to do that or they do, but they're terrified. You're brave. Oh, you know what, Bonnie? I hear you. I thank you. That means a lot to me. Doug, you took a compliment. 
I'm, sorry, I'm not what? listening to you. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye.